0: Welcome to Gun Owners of America's State of the Second podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee.
1: And John, and thank you again for joining us today. Today we have Adam from Century Arms. Adam, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Century Arms?
2: Yeah, so I am the Vice President of Business Development and Marketing at Century Arms in Canic, USA. Obviously, we are one of the foremost leaders in imported as well as domestically manufactured AKs. And then on the Canic side, obviously been bringing in... Some fantastic pistols, superior as we like to call them, <laughs> since 2012, developing into what is now a U.S. manufactured facility that's about to open in West Palm Beach, Florida. Excited to be here, excited to support GOA and talk about just kind of what's going on in our industry, what's going on in the state of America today, and maybe throw in a couple stingers about Century Arms and Canic along the way.
1: First and foremost, you know, I appreciate you coming. Canick has come a long way. You guys are coming out with a ton of new stuff. Everything that's coming out from Canik is just gold. Um, so on the policy side, let's kind of talk about what it looks like for you as an importer. Because you're importing a lot of this stuff in. What is the biggest impact on you guys as an importer?
2: Hey man, You were just ripping the Band-Aid off right out the right gate. Out I'm out just diving gate. into it, I guess. This is going to be a six-minute long podcast, <laughs> and I've got four <laughs> minutes to answer all these questions. No, so both on the Century and the canic side, obviously... There is a lot to think about when it comes to importation, um, not just from, you know, what are we going to bring in? How are we bring it in versus a pistol versus a rifle configuration? Because once you start talking rifle, now you're talking 922R compliance. For those of you that aren't aware, basically what that means is there's certain guidelines and factors that must be checked off in order to be compliant with U.S. regulations. So, for instance, on a rifle, um, there are certain lengths of the rifle, there are certain weights, there certain dimensions, ways you can bring it in. But then once it's here, there has to be a certain number of components on said rifle that are now U.S. manufactured. So a lot of companies will do things like stocks and mags and trigger groups and all kinds of things, and I believe it's seven right now, that you have to have uh, components on the gun in order to make it 922-R compliant pistols a little different but with pistols now you're looking at things like weight and dimensions and calibers and um functionality there's a lot of things that come in with that that you have to check off these boxes so great example is the canic meta mc9 which is our micro compact pistol just won uh carry pistol of the year with the Industry choice awards um Everybody's like, when are you coming out with one? You know, obviously there's some really great ones in the, in the market, the P365, the Springfield Hellcat. We actually had this gun done two years ago. Well, done, quote unquote done, you know. But the compliance side and the importation side was just a monster. So instead of just sitting on our loyal, laurels and just fighting with lawyers to get it done, we actually continued to develop the gun. Um, but when you do that, if you make major changes – Now you've got to resubmit it to the BATF for a temporary import, for, you know, permitting, then you've got to start the process all over. So it it was truly kind of a roller coaster of emotion and a roller coaster of manufacturing processes to kind of get it done, but stay in the guidelines so that we could actually bring this gun to market in some sort of formidable time. So it it is a lot, you know, what it does is it doesn't just, it doesn't just set up uh, the you know the red tape, the government compliance side, but it also kind of changes how you have to develop something because ultimately it's all about fitting into the box, but fitting in the box in the most creative way you can.
1: Well, and the big thing that I know, at least from my my little knowledge on importing handguns, it's a point system. So yeah, it's a absolutely. certain points and you have to hit uh, what is it ninety or it's some sort of number of points right. so you can import. And being on this side of the table and going, how many times do you guys get a call like, "Hey, I saw this handgun in some magazine in Europe. When are you guys going to bring it in? Why is it not here?" And there's a lot of red tape that people don't understand on bringing in just a yeah. handgun.
2: No, it's it's such that's such a good example. For instance, you know, and I'm kind of jumping around, but we have a really interesting dynamic because we see it from Century Side and from Canik. You know, right now overseas, what we're dealing with, with like braces and, you know, even like the MCK, the macaronis and all those kind of things in Europe, that's not a thing. You know, that's not, there's no such thing as an SBR over Mm -hmm. there. A a, a gun is a gun, a, a rifle is a rifle. You can walk into a gun store, grab a suppressor and walk out. Like, that's how it works over there. Those are, because... As ironic as people think, you know, Europe is so anti-gun, certain things are just common sense, you know, and that's kind of what we we need to go back to. Everybody tries to use common sense gun law as a term over here. Why don't we just use common sense and say a suppressor, all it does is make it so it's not as loud. You know, a a SBR doesn't do anything. A short-barreled rifle doesn't do anything different than a longer-barreled rifle. If anything, it's deterrent of it. So, when people see these guns, it's because Europe, is, in that sense, is using more common sense <laughs> in terms of what is actually affecting the gun. This gun is not any more dangerous because it has a 3-inch barrel versus a 5-inch barrel. But on a compliance side in the United States, in order to get those points, it's got to be like a 3.1-inch barrel. I mean, there's, there's like you said, the point system. And just these micro nuances of difference can literally be the difference between the gun being allowed to come to the United States and not. And so, yeah, it's it's very, very tough to make that work. And that's kind of one of the big reasons that Canick has said, you know, we need to take things into our own hands and create our own destiny in building this facility in the United States, not only to kind of be able to manufacture stuff in the US and not have to go through some of these, these hoops that you have to, um, but also to now go after government contracts because you have to have a U.S. facility, and also to control your own destiny if it were to ever come to pass that importation of firearms was no longer allowed. Which, God forbid, it ever comes to that. But that's why people like you at the GOA are so important. Is because we have to continue to battle for our rights. Because if it was up to uh, certain, you know, people in power at the time. I don't think, I don't think they'd allow that. I think that's something that we have to be really, really conscious of that an executive decision could literally ban the importation of firearms overnight.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a really good point. And we, GOA has been traditionally very active in, in kind of all, all aspects. You know, we have lobbyists that are in Washington, DC. We have a very active grassroots. We have legal cases we have state directors and regional directors, so at any level where, where tyranny is happening, we can can, can combat it. Um, but with the NFA and and all of these these gun laws that are on the books and that are attempted every year, it really puts a damper on the industry. But um, beyond the industry, it it inhibits citizens from being able to exercise their Second Amendment right. Right, and um, so people call us crazy when we work to get. Um, legislation introduced like the shall not be infringed act because they're like oh it'll never pass it'll never pass well one never say never in american politics period um but two it's getting people on the record supporting your Mm -hmm. second amendment rights because if we don't do anything offensively if we don't change the conversation if we don't introduce the legislation then we are giving up ground Um, and so it's so important that we have people on record introducing these legislation and and work with our members to show them that it's popular, Um, and it kind of goes back to GOA's definition of a gun rights activist, and it's someone who takes personal responsibility not only in the use of their firearms but in the defense of their right to own them. That is what GOA is about, period, and um, I think it has a massive impact on on companies like yours.
2: Well, yeah, it's what we were talking about at, le- at dinner last night. It's the silent majority finally having the gall to say enough's enough. You know, I mean, it's we were joking about the song that just came on. There. What is the Richmond North of Richmond? Yeah. yeah. You know, it it's there's an evident reason that that song billboarded or uh, started on the charts at number one. You know, mm-hmm. first time it's ever happened. A non-signed guy is the number one song in the country right out the gate. And I think that's what it is, is people are tired of seeing people that don't actually represent the opinions of their constituents going out there and making decisions for them. And like you said, so when GOA says, hey, this might not have the weight to pull all the way through, we're going to pull people accountable. We're going to make your representative declare on this issue. He's going to have to make a decision. He's going to have to, you know get off the pot essentially you know like here you're gonna have to say something so we know where you stand when you're standing in front of all your peers in terms of congressmen and senators and then also when you're standing in front of all your constituents later you have to answer for how you voted on this and i think that's a really beautiful thing and i think it's important a level of accountability Mm -hmm. regardless of how far you think it's going to go to continuously bringing up these these factors and these uh, decisions that are important ultimately to the silent majority, even people that don't maybe have quite the passion that the, the three of us in this room have about firearms, you know, mm-hmm. they still, I think a lot of them still, I know a lot of them still believe in the power of the second amendment and maybe they don't necessarily have a large, I was about to say a number of guns, yeah. but, you know, what are you, the ATF? Relax. <laughs> um, and the boating accident was terrible. I lost oh, most of them. Often? Yeah, yeah. Um, But I think a lot of people understand that without the Second Amendment, you're losing the First Amendment, which is such a cliche saying, we say it all the time, but it's such a powerful thing. And I think what GOA does is protect the First Amendment too. By doing that, by, by enacting that in front of Congress, enacting that in front of Senate and on your local legislation as well, I think it, it literally holds people accountable and lets them know that we're not going away. So yeah. to that, I, 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 I choose you.
0: It's it's all thanks to our members, which are incredibly active. And, and um, I think that's what makes, you know, GOA, GOA, is we've never lost sight of the fact that we are a grassroots army first and foremost. And um, I think it's pretty awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm proud of the organization I work at. I, I couldn't tell. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I chose, I chose them for a reason. I I hope everyone chooses where they work for, for a reason. Um, but you know, we're, we're founded in, in 1976. Like we're, we're not the new kids on the block. This isn't your first rodeo, um, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and in all of that time, we've never compromised on the second amendment and you, and you can't compromise on the second amendment because ultimately your rights are constitutionally protected, not government granted. And in, mm-hmm. it's it's so important that we remind people of that, that they understand that they have a second amendment right. And it's their choice whether they exercise it or not, but it's their right. And um, so I just think it's really, really important to kind of remind people of that, that when you give up something, yeah, you might not care about it now, or you may even disagree with it, but that's yours that you're giving up.
1: Right. Well, you said it best. It, you know, people with a stroke of a pen can get rid of stuff. And we saw that what, two years ago, a year ago with the Russian ammo ban. I mean, that impacted you guys probably more than anybody else. And then also on the Russian gun ban too. You know, that those two strokes of pen just impacted the industry bigger than what most people think.
2: Yeah. And I can speak on that if you'd like me to. Yeah. So obviously, I mean, we never held it behind uh closed doors that red army standard which is one of our brands you know and it's our ammo manufacturer or ammo brand uh a lot of that ammo was imported from russia Uh, i mean it was even it was even kind of held in the packaging design there was the hammer and sickle (laughs) on the star and all and when all this started um before even really a lot of the information came out and you know, we're not going to dive, this isn't a political podcast, we're not going to dive into who's done right and who's done wrong, but what we did recognize is that a lot of people were losing their lives that didn't need to, and, and it was ridiculous, so we made a decision as a company that we were going to uh, cut ties, even before, you know, uh, it was official, official, that we had to, but we were, we were going to kind of move in a different direction or start looking to, for other options uh, in terms of what we could do with our ammo sourcing. And then we were also going to kind of rebrand the packaging a little bit. So we we thought the red army standard brand, you know, a name is only as powerful as you give it. So we were like, this isn't giving homage to Russia, but it is, it is our brand that we've worked very hard. And a lot of people's livelihoods are attached to this brand. But what we are going to do is we remove the hammer and sickle from the star. Um, and if you see any new packaging out there, you'll notice that. Um, there may be some still circulating out there. And if so, buy it because <laughs> 7.62 by 39, which I'll get to in a second, is getting very hard to get. But we, we said, all right, we're going to move away from that. But the reality with Russia and ammo, especially on like the com block styles that, you know, 7.62 by 54R, 5.45, 7.62 by 39 is people don't realize like 80%. Of that ammo came out of Russia, so all of a sudden, 7.62 by 39, the cheap, fun AK ammo that everybody, you know, was 17 cents a round to go plink, you know, started creeping, creeping, and now it's 40 plus cents a round. So, you know, there's a lot of companies right now, some really good ammo manufacturers in the U S. Um, uh, so from the big ones down to some smaller startups that are looking to kind of invest in seven, six, two by 39, but an ammo line is not an easy thing to do. So that, like you said, that the stripe, swipe of that pin drastically affected what is significant calibers. And then obviously a whole, whole gambit of firearms in this country, uh, the, vi- the viability of it you know and that's not going away anytime soon so you know people that were very much ak lovers and things like that are now can they afford to even if they can find the ammo so yeah i mean one swipe of a pin can it, you might not see it that day but very quickly you're going to see the ripple effect of it that turns into a wave
0: this episode of state of the second is brought to you by fort scott munitions their patented tumble upon impact technology makes them a leader in the ammunition world visit them at fort what people don't
1: understand a lot of people trash steel ammo because it's it's cheap and it's dirty and this what people don't understand is the price of steel ammo also helps keep the price of brass ammo. It holds it down. in check yeah because
2: yeah. if it goes too high if, if all of a sudden brass is crazy high people start buying steel and then they're like well crap we still got to sell the brass so now yeah that's a great analogy Look at you saying something smart. (laughs) Our little buddy's growing up so fast. Look
1: at that. Um, No, because I I saw it on the ammo side when I was working in ammo. It was, you know, once that steel started to dry up, you see the price. And, again, the price of steel went up because we were in unspoken times where the market was just hot. But the price of steel went up. Now that there's nothing to keep the price of brass in check, and we're seeing now that... The, the consumer is controlling that price the price is starting to drop drastically compared to last year and the right year previously but without having that you know the threshold to get into and we'll, we'll go off a of nine millimeter for example you could get a box of steel case nine mil for six seven dollars a box and you get into shooting pretty cheaply and brass was still at like 12 thirteen dollars a box right now there's nothing to keep that in check. So now we're seeing that the price of brass went skyrocketing uh rocketing and now we're seeing it slightly come down but without having these checks and balances in the industry with the the cheaper stuff we're now creating a threshold where people have to pay more where you know all these new shooters coming in their the ammo is just more and more expensive and that is a consumable product that you cannot replace yeah. pretty quickly.
2: You know, I think it's important too. We 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 are calling it cheap, and and in a sense, it is cheap in comparison to the definition. Not only in terms of what it costs, but then also sometimes the production. But steel case ammo, as long as it's a reliable company, is not bad. No, you know, I mean, it's really not. And and ultimately, I am of the belief that what you go to the range with, and you're just if you're practicing just. Hey, I just want to shoot for fun. I want to take people out there. I want to, you know, I want to go have a little shooting competition with my friends, or I ultimately want to put a thousand rounds down range today and just enjoy myself. There's nothing wrong with shooting steel cased ammo, other than you just know you're gonna to have to clean your gun a little more thorough that <laughs> night because it's going to be gooky. But there's nothing wrong with that. Now, what I'm about, if I'm training, I'm going to train with something that's going to be as similar to what I'd actually have to use in a situation where I would need it, you know, just so that repeatability is there and that familiarity. And ultimately what I'm going to have in my firearms that are going to be at the house that I'm going to depend on in a one-shot opportunity. This is I get one chance to defend myself, one chance to know that my firearm functions properly, one chance to know that the ammo is dependent and is going to do what it needs to do. That's going to be a different conversation. But just to go out there and have a great time with with ammo – Steel case is probably what I'm going to pick 90% of the time because half the people I'm bringing out there, they don't even know the difference and they're not going to know the difference. And 80% of the time, I don't know the difference. So I'm just going to shoot it and have a good time and save some
1: money. Well, we were talking about last night. You know, you bring out something and you, you, you're like, oh, I want people to have funds. But in your head, you're like, well, that was 10 cents. That $1, 10 cents. <laughs> $2, $3. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah and- just kind of going back to what we were talking about of, of legislation being introduced, I think um, this pricing people out of the market we're seeing every year when when the 1,000% excise tax gets introduced. Right. Um, I mean, that would cripple most people from being able to get that first firearm or for people to be able to expand and have the gun that they want to use in a self-defense situation or um, just to own in general. And so I think that uh, it's part of a bigger picture than even just the the increase in in ammo prices
2: the the thousand percent tax like that is the most ridiculous thing like the gall Mm -hmm. of somebody to be able like hey this is what we're gonna do so we are talking about inflation being at an all-time high we're talking about eggs being six dollars a 12 versus a dollar to 32 you know gas being at four something dollars a gallon in in good parts of the country Mm -hmm. you know And then you're going to say, hey, we know it's tough. You know, we got to band together. The White House releases things like here's how to spend smart, things like this. And then you're going to put a thousand percent tax on something that is protected by the second amendment of our country. Like it's just, it just shows the disconnect between where some of our politicians are now and where our country was rooted. It's just, it it is absolutely mind boggling to me. And I, again, I, I feel like I'm, a walking billboard for you guys right now. But that's why organizations like the GOA are so important because there's no common sense there. Like it just doesn't make sense. You're sitting here talking about how the government's supposed to be doing more for their people and fighting the whole persona that the government only wants to tax people and only wants to take, take, take. And then you propose in public forum, a thousand percent tax on something that is protected Mm -hmm. by our constitution.
0: They know what they're doing, right? They know what they're doing. They're they're pricing people out of the market because the new gun ownership that's happened over the last year, two, three years has been remarkable. And so, you know, they're in a position right now where I think they're trying to, to get as much done. And they're like, well, you know, we, they won't pass a thousand percent tax. But if we start the conversation here, maybe we can get. A 200 uh, yeah. percent tax or something. Um, like and so that's why GOA is no compromise. Because Mm -hmm. we understand that the second amendment gives us a position of strength. And every time we allow legislation to water that down, we are just giving up ground um, and they're gaining everything.
2: Goes back to the slippery slope mentality. You know, that that term gets used a lot in our industry. But the slippery slope mentality really is, is, you know, I I 100 percent agree with you guys. I think there is no room for backing down from what our forefathers intended when they founded this country and kind of set into place what are our constitutional rights. Mm. With that being said, I also think it's very good to have conversation. I think dialogue is important. You know, you and I I I would go on a podcast right now that was with and I have done some conversations with like mothers demand action and things like that. I Mm. don't mind sitting across the table and have as long as we can have a conversation that is actually educational. But unfortunately what happens a lot of times is it becomes a domineering one sided speech rather than a conversation you know let's actually talk about the stats that you have and and let me let me as another american let me have compassion for that Mm -hmm. um but then let me also talk to you about the stats that i know that are fact and you're welcome to fact check them and let's maybe say wow you know what can we do more as a society to ensure that which i think all of us agree on the right people have firearms in their hands and that's not like everybody deserves in my opinion i think everybody we all deserve to own a gun until we don't mm-hmm. anywhere until we do something that is that is that inalienable line in the sand that says you are no longer you've lost your right to vote you've lost your right to own a gun and we know what these things these are major these are felons of intense degree and things like this that at least in my opinion i look at that and go yeah you know what you're, you're not welcome in my house, so I probably don't want you welcome, <laughs> welcome on the range with me either. But until that, you know, until we can have those kind of conversations, I don't think we're going to get anywhere. And unfortunately, as you've seen, like, it's just, it's it's such a level of just an almost insanity. Like yeah. you said, with a thousand percent tax and things like this. Yes, they know what they're doing and they're posturing this way so that they can get it and it doesn't seem like as bad when they get a hundred percent tax. But ultimately, it's just insanity. Yeah. It just really is.
0: Yeah. I mean, murder is still illegal. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless of what you use to commit it, I mean, it's just that's that's reality. Yeah. Um. And so, no, I I definitely um definitely agree. But you're right. I mean, if they're constantly um walking that down and, and saying, you know, hey, if we started a thousand, maybe we can get ten this year and and twenty percent next year. But we're also
2: guilty. I mean, we hear it, we hear it, we hear it, and then we're angry, and then we got other things we got to worry about, <laughs> and and you know, and that's what the reality is: is they want to just beat you down so much that suddenly it doesn't seem so, Oh, you're just tired of talking about it, you know? And that's why it's important to have organizations that are just focused solely on one thing to keep reminding you the severity of what they're trying to do. So again, Bravo.
0: Yeah. I think that, um, it kind of, the barrier to entry to get politically involved sometimes seems higher than it is. And they, they want it to, right. um, you know, the reality is, is someone can go on our website right now. For 25 and, bucks, right? Well, yeah, 25 bucks to be a member. <laughs> but even if you want to just email your representative on a gun bill, it takes about 45 seconds to fill out the form. And then you have made your voice known. But they don't want you to know that because right. then they have to deal with your email. They have to, you know, do tally marks. And they're like, oh, crap, people in my district really don't Are want that. attention. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, but, you know, it's it's a lot easier than it used to be you know when goa first started it was like you would mail in a letter to congress and like you'd sign your name and like that was how you took action email i mean we're kind of uh very luxury now They're like a streamlined <laughs> process yeah, yeah yeah like give me like one less than one minute and and you can take action on something um and sometimes people still feel like wow that's a lot of time
2: well i also think I, I, you know, it's a lot of time when we are just, we are, I call it the goldfish mentality. Now, you know, we, uh, we, we don't, you know, the power of things like, and definitely the generation behind me, but the power of TikTok and all this stuff is just really taking people's attention to anything longer than 10 seconds and Mm -hmm. and made it seem so exhausting. But I think more than just the fact that it is, um, you know, time consuming (laughs) as you want to call it, which isn't, but That's how they feel. You know, I just don't have time to do that is it's like, you know, I used to be, when I was in marketing outside of the firearms industry, Do you remember like, uh, they would have the boxes at the front of a restaurant. You could drop your business card in it. And Mm -hmm. it was, somebody's going to win a cruise and I would never do it. And, and we would do these at our, our places and we'd have, we'd have it there for a month and there'd be six people in a month that put their card in there or, or fill down. And the reason is, is the same reason I never did it because I would say, oh, I never win something like that. I never win something like that. Or this can't be, it's too good to be true, or this can't be real, or it has got to be a scam. Mm-hmm. And the reality is it wasn't. But we all felt that way, or we felt we didn't have the luck, or we didn't have the voice to be heard, so we just didn't even bother. And I think that's where a lot of people feel. They feel like, even if I write this email, nobody's going to read it, mm-hmm. or it's going to fall on deaf ears. But I think what's so powerful about what you guys do is... There is power in numbers. yeah. And when you have a conglomerate of like-minded people speaking on the same subject and agreeing that this is the direction they want their representatives to go, you have no choice but to at least listen. They have to listen. Or you know what? They're not going to have that job much longer. And I think that's what it is, is you have to speak up because we've seen people that we completely staunchly disagree with that 90% of this country disagree with is getting stuff done because their little 5% of constituents are speaking so loudly that it seems to be so much bigger than it actually is. And people are like, well, we got to do something. We got to do something because everybody wants this. But the reality is only 5% of even want that, but because they're the only ones talking and they're talking so damn loudly that we're getting stuff done. So imagine if 95% of people said, Just all in accord, no. And they just said it. They didn't scream it. They didn't tear buildings down. They just said no. And they said it together, and they said it in a normal, calm voice, how loud and deafening that would be. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we have to get as a country.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, we were talking, Kaylee and I were talking at one point, and you you brought up that goldfish mentality. It's all about dopamine hits now. Everybody wants a quick dopamine hit, and that's why they're scrolling. Is it? If we got to find a way to turn talking to your congressman into a dopamine hit and going oh i'm i'm excited because this has made me you know hit it hits different and hitting a target
2: at 500 yeah. yards that's a dopamine hit for oh, me yeah. you know <laughs> <laughs> dopam- that's a dopamine hit for me so yeah but like going like you're saying it's well i think that's when you actually see the needle move yeah but you're not going to see the needle move unless we actually try and that's where I think I'm guilty of it. You know, I, like you said, the 45 second thing, that's why I got all defensive on it, because you're mm-hmm. right, though. I mean, it is. And I think we are maybe not with the GOA and maybe not with politically um, focused firearms legislation for like, like people like the GOA, but anything, you know, whether it be a, you know, we complain about the service at a restaurant and they say, you know, at the end, you get to take this survey in 45 seconds. But we're like, oh, that's stupid. I'm not doing that. I don't have time for that. But maybe if you did, maybe the next time you went into that <laughs> restaurant, I wouldn't be so crappy, you yeah. know? And, and it's just a reality. We all feel like we don't have enough time to give our feedback, but then we complain when nothing changes.
1: No, you're 100% right on that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, um, I think the the key is understanding how powerful a movement can be. So, um, you know, we've been fighting the lead ammo ban on public land. This is not a new fight. It's no. it's been years and years and years. Um but the comment period just closed and uh it was something like 90% or over 90% came from GOA members. Wow. Wow. That's because we we do have an active base. But our our base is only so strong and that's why it's so critical that more people join. It's so critical that more people get involved and that you kind of take a moment and look at yourself in the mirror and say, okay, well, you know, is this an issue that's going to affect me? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Um, is this something that's going to affect what I want to see overall happen? And, and maybe you go and you, you sent, spend your 45 seconds. And then now all of a sudden you've joined. And then when the comment period closes, you sit back and go, wow, we made a difference here. Yeah. Um, and so, um, I, I think that that's, so important is that we we give recognition where recognition is due and, and that's a huge um victory, whether it ends up um, you know, we're in a tough situation with the executive branch. So who knows if they'll take our comments seriously, but it's very clear where the people who who responded who were the squeaky will stand. Um and, and I think that all of our members can be very proud of that fact.
2: Yeah. I mean, like you said, if if you don't do something do you really have a right to complain?
1: Right. Well, I'm I in this room, probably one of the most affected people about it, because in Arizona, we don't have a lot of public ranges or it, it is you go out to the desert, you find a spot. It's all government owned land, BLM land. Sounds like a giant public <laughs> range to me, boy. Yeah. Well, that's what it is. And yeah. recently, uh, one of the spots that we we normally go to has been shut down because of the concern of lead and it, it, it's some old law in Arizona because the it's a technically a cow watering hole which it's not there's no water I there's, don't no get, cows, no, there's no, no cows no water. there's yeah, no yeah. water but they they put up the sign that we we're no longer allowed to shoot there and I'm like well the next spot's 45 minutes the other direction or I gotta drive another 20 minutes into the desert to go to another secluded spot which is a safe place to shoot and it's it gets annoying and now you know, I'm putting in going, Hey, let's uh why did we change why can't we change this? This needs to be why did you change this in the first place? Let's change it back to an enjoyable recreation spot for everybody.
2: Because the reality is the people that are actually taking the time to go out there and shoot, like you said, I think one of the keyest the key things you said there was a safe space to shoot. And we're not talking about a safe space like a <laughs> emotional, you know, pillow room. We're talking about a safe space. We we, we recognize this as hey I can shoot responsibly. I understand the four the four guidelines of, you know, shooting responsibly. I've assessed the situation, and it's a great place that I can do this, that I can take others and train them in the proper way to do things and without risking myself or anybody else. You are the kind of person that technically they want shooting, <laughs> you know, and they're making it harder and harder for you. The person that doesn't respect these guidelines and these boundaries is just going to go do whatever they want, whether it be in the middle of a town, you know, a city block or whatever, thing like that. you're the one that's actually trying to do it the right way as our forefathers intended and they're making it more difficult for you. But like you said, murder is still illegal and the things that are still illegal, the people that are owning guns illegally that are, you know, the small major the small minority that are making it seem so sensational aren't going to abide by these lines. They don't care about lead laws. You know where else lead is illegal? In another person that didn't do anything wrong, you know, but we're, they're, they're doing less about protecting that and more about protecting the non-existent cows and water out in the <laughs> desert. So yeah, it's it's frustrating, but I, I mean, I, I understand like that's, it's so, it sounds so simple. And like they use these things like lead and our fear of lead. And yes, we understand what you're saying. But if you actually look at the percentage of what lead from shooting does to the environment is so minuscule in comparison to, what corporations are dumping <laughs> in the water and in the desert every single day? But it seems that the focus, obviously, is on the Second Amendment versus actually protecting the environment.
0: Yeah. So changing topics a little bit. Yeah, we can um, go
2: down that. It's a nine <laughs> and a half hour podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um. So let's talk about first-time gun ownership the increases that we're seeing there, how's that affecting business and how are you guys going after that market and, yeah. and educating people?
2: So especially on the canic side, you know um, that has been where we've seen the biggest influence. I think we saw, we were talking last night, the numbers that are actually finally coming out of new gun owners over the last couple of years is stacking. It's like 9 million. It was crazy, <laughs> crazy. And like you were saying, that's what actually has these politicians. The more they talk about it, the more they try to regulate it. People are like, you know what? Suddenly I'm off the fence in terms yeah. and I'm actually going to get this. It's Americans don't like being told what they can't have, you know? Um, and for Kanic, what we did is we created a firearm that's reliable that has built a fan base and not only a fan base, but um, ambassadors of our brand can put the confidence in referring that to somebody else. I think everybody over the last couple of years that's been in in the firearms world, whether it's working in it or just been, you know, the neighborhood guy for it for years, started getting crazy amounts of phone calls when everything started hitting the fan about three and a half years ago. Hey, can I get a gun? Hey, what gun should I get? Hey, do you have any ammo I could buy? All these kind of questions started coming up from people that at the barbecue six months before that were looking at you like you were the crazy person because you owned a gun, Mm -hmm. not because you were carrying a gun, just you owned a gun. And now all of a sudden they're, they're asking. So what we found is that with canic building products that were reliable, that came with all the products you need to not only take that gun home that day but then utilize it from you know our guns come with holsters they come with extra mags they come with back straps that three different sizes so that you can you know really customize the fit in your hand to what's appropriate from you small medium and large they're ambidextrous they're co-witness they you know all the things that really are the i like this but i wish it had this We've allowed it to be customizable. So we were able to do all that and then do it at a price that we kind of consider our wow factor. You know, mm-hmm. it's people, wow, I get all this for what? And that has been really what we attribute a lot of our growth to with all these new gun owners in the in the U.S. in the last couple of years. People come in and, you know, before they were coming in, they were just saying key terms they'd heard, like key brands, you know. I mean, we'll say it, Glock. You know, hey, I want to get a Glock. A Glock to them might not even be an actual Glock pistol. It was a pistol. You know, that was what they knew it as. So now they're coming in they're saying, hey, what's available? Tell me about this. And it used to be, you know, you had the guys behind the counter that were, they were like one of three brands and they were brand loyalists. They were a Glock guy. They were a SIG guy. You know, that was kind of how they did. But now we've got guys that are saying, hey, like, what are you looking for? Okay. What are you looking to spend? Okay. Have you heard of Canic? And let me tell you why, and this and this, and now you got people that aren't just selling it because it's uh, the, the terrible word we hate is cheap, but now it's a good price for a great gun, a superior gun, if you will. <laughs> and, and that's where I think we've seen the biggest growth. And we've seen these people that are just starting in the industry or just starting in our community and their first gun is a canic. And you know how it is, this industry and this, this community is contagious, and the energy and, and the support from other people in this industry is so beautiful and such an uh, embracing community that it's hard once you get in it to not just dive in completely. You know, <laughs> yeah. you get one gun and then all of a sudden you've got six and you're like, they're, they're multiplying, you know. And we, the idea that their first gun and that they're going to be a Canic loyalist out the gate is something that we, we do not take for granted. And it's been beautiful for us. And it's, we're growing leaps and bounds every day. And it's just it's such a fun ride to be a part of.
1: Well, we've seen a complete culture shift from in in from behind the counter. Okay, behind the counter, it used to be like you said. It was you were a Sig guy, you were a Glock guy, you were a a Springfield guy. Now you have the people who are educated, mm, and I think yeah. the industry wide, we have been very good at now educating the guys behind the counter to go, "Hey, there's more options. There's options out there, and that they can start pushing the you know canic." Because when I started behind the counter, it was I'm going to date myself. It was like 2013 and Canik was kind of the new kid on the block yeah. right around there. Yeah.
2: It just really hit in yeah. 2012. So yeah. Yeah.
1: And it was kind of like, you guys really need to look at this thing. And the reliability was there. The price point was there. It hit everything out of the box and the, the, uh misnomer or the, the pushing on Turkish made guns have changed. It was like Turkey was the place you got cheap shotguns from. Yeah. Now it's, hey, they make really well-built, well, you know, you think, and we were talking about this last night, when you think of Turkey, you think of some guy in a hut with a file, mm-hmm. hand-filing the gun. And Canik has probably one of the best facility manufacturing facilities in the world.
2: Yeah, it's unbelievable. I was showing you guys yeah. pictures last night. I mean, the, the level of detail, I mean, ISO 9000 is, you know, a key term we throw mm-hmm. around all in terms of, like, that is just getting started for them. They have, I mean, every cert for every major country in the world in terms of their manufacturing top tier because they are such a large um, international player in the firearm space. I mean, we were talking about last night from 50 cal machine guns, to 20 and 30 millimeter cannons to obviously our small arms that we do across the world. They're in over 70 countries in the world right now in terms of LE and military assets. And the level of accountability when you start talking at military levels, especially for, you know, NATO countries and first world, like major power players, the level of reliability, dependability and accuracy in terms of repeatability in your manufacturing processes is something that there is no um, tolerance for, for deviation. So Kanik has really stepped up and, and, and invested a huge amount of their earnings into growing the business from a manufacturing side. And, and yeah, and that's where it is. It's now it's not just this little clone gun or Turkish gun. We are an innovator and it's obvious. in what's coming out now and, and the brand loyalty.
1: Well, the coolest story I've heard about Kanik is from our, my friend Nils and every you know, Nils, Nils is friends with you. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Nils was in Turkey making the rival and he said he had five guns in front of him. And he was like, I like this one, I like this. And like, by the time he was done shooting the fifth gun, he said there was a new prototype sitting on the table. It was, table Nils, right? Nils, was, and it was yeah, Nils and I. It was Nils and I together. You, yeah. yeah, And that's unheard of, that they're, they're taking input, and this is what I appreciate about Kanek and you guys, is that you're taking input from the cu- customer base, and I would say Nils is a, a high-end customer <laughs> when yeah. it comes to things. He's a
2: little, he's a little bougie from <laughs> yeah. time to time, yeah. But when you're the wor- fastest man in the world in terms of shooting, you get a little bit of... A little bit of leeway. I hope Nils doesn't listen to this. You're just going to stroke his ego. Nils um, has an attention span of about 30 seconds. Yes. We're like 20 <laughs> minutes into this thing. He's not. Yeah, he's, yeah.
1: Great, great person. If you got, go watch his Nils stuff. Nils Jonasson. Yeah, yeah. He's actually Canucks team captain. Yeah. yeah and, great guy. In the shooting world. But yeah. for you got for Canik to take input from him to build this and take input from the customer, we're seeing that trend start to take off in the industry. I think that, and that's where I think the industry needs to go is start taking customer input on you know backstraps and what to come with i mean every little detail when you purchase a canic is there like you said you've got you know the holster you've got the backstraps you've got the magazines you've got everything plus your toolkits a little canic which is the coolest thing
2: (laughs) i have you want to hear the funny story about this so and i'll I'll say so first off it's very important you 10 15 years ago in consumerism as a whole it was the company company telling the consumer what they wanted. Hey, this is the new cup. It's green. It's got a top. That's what you want. That's what you're gonna have. Okay. Yeah. You know. And they they jammed it down your throat. But now the consumer has become so much more powerful, and it's hey, we're not gonna support this. There's options everywhere, unless that cup is blue and has this kind of top, and is this cost. I'm not gonna buy it. And and companies either have to evolve, or die. You know. So that's a really cool thing that the company industry as a whole hopefully gets to that and i think canic kind of was just a step ahead of a lot of companies in doing that um but in terms of the little canic so you're right so the little toolkit is a micro sized canic pistol and it uh it has a little slide on the bottom of the uh, on the bottom of the grip and you can remove all the tools Utsu Aral is the president of canic and we were all sitting there one day and he comes in and he says now, this is the CEO, you know, very well put together gentleman. He's young. He's 40 years old. It's his family's business, but he comes in and he looks at us and he says, How cool is this? And he holds it up. And I'm like, What is that? And I think it's like a keychain, you know? And he's like, No, this is going to be the new toolkit. And starting with the Meta line. And he opens it up and he shows and he puts it in the case and there's a little cutout and everybody's looking. And he says, Adam, what do you think? I said, That is the stupidest thing I have ever seen in my entire life. Like, that will get us destroyed in the u.s like we're not doing that and he sits there for a second and he says okay thank you for the feedback we're still doing it (laughs) i said yes sir you know great so we get you know we get into launching the product and at one of the very first media events i'm at i'm launching the Mete, and we're going through the features and i don't even remember who it was it was somebody big i think it was like demolition ranch or somebody like that like adam stop this is the coolest thing I have ever seen. I was like, I know, right? I thought, of it. I thought of it. I told him we had to do this, you know? And So, yeah, it it uh it's definitely been one of the little extra details that comes in a canic that uh really helps kind of show what we're about. And I'm so glad I thought of it.
1: Yeah. No, yeah. I'm glad, too. You know, the coolest piece of Canic swag I have is the USB drive canic. Another one. I was like, these are so
2: stupid. <laughs> and they were like, well,
1: we're doing them. I was like, dang, come it. And, yeah. So I, the funny story about that is I, mine actually got taken away from me. Oh, at an airport. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've had that happen many times. Because I didn't even think about it. I'm like, it's just a USB drive, and they're like, sir, there's something in your bag. I'm like, oh yeah, it's my USB drive. They're like, no. <laughs> they're like, no. Look, you can drop the bag and everything. They're like,
2: yes, yeah, sir.
1: <laughs> I'm like, can I at least keep the USB part? They're like, okay. So I I lost my my cool piece of uh, swag. <laughs> I, I might know a guy to get you <laughs> another one. Yeah. So no, and that's what I like about it. It it, it, it as silly as it, it is that it's the thing that is most memorable is the cool little swag things or the cool little pieces that are attention in there. to detail. Yeah. yeah. Great great idea. By the way. Yeah. Uh, you know,
2: <laughs> even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. So yeah. So.
1: Uh. So on the canic side, like we said, you guys are innovative and everything. You you talked about your factory. Now, let's switch back over to the sentry side. Yeah. Uh, pistol braces. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, the pistol brace thing, the Draco pistols have been just skyrocketing in popularity. Right. The brace pistol was one of the coolest things for me. You-
2: Including the AP5s, you know, yeah. our MP5 mm-hmm. clone. You know, I mean, that is the fact that you could get one at a third of the price of anybody else, okay. you know, was something that was huge. But yeah, it's contingent on... A lot of it's in terms of the daily use and functionality. You want you want points of contact that you can use to stabilize.
1: So, how has that impacted you guys? The the brace in terms of like, sales. In
2: terms of sales and drastically, drastically. Um, you know, I I think there's there's a huge um, disconnect between, like we said, between the government and you know the common citizen as they want to kind of refer to us as just the common people um what they think or what their intention for why they would get rid of braces versus what people actually use them for um again it kind of goes back to what we were talking about in Europe there is no such thing as an SBR mm-hmm. you know there is no such thing as you know regulations on exactly how you can hold or fire your gun they just want you to be safe um when you do something like this this in my opinion, not this is not reflecting of Sentry. This is not reflecting of Canik, This is simply Adam Ranola, is this was done solely on the purpose of bringing down the sales of guns. They saw that guns were or gun prices or gun volumes were increasing with the evolution of the brace. You know, it made different styles of platforms, different options become more appealing to, to the masses, you know, and in terms of, it's just a different experience. It doesn't do anything to make the gun more dangerous. But I wanted to sometimes I wanted to shoot my 16-inch barrel rifle, and uh, sometimes I wanted to shoot a 10-inch barreled firearm, you know. But I wanted to do it safe, and I wanted to do it accurately. And the brace with the stabilizing ability and those extra points of contact helped me do that. But now. Because you're saying, oh, this is somehow makes this gun more deadly. What you've actually done by getting rid of the brace is actually make the gun less safe and, in a sense, more deadly, but not in a positive way. You know, Mm -hmm. like you've made it more like where I don't feel as comfortable just going out and shooting at 100 yards with my Draco unbraced. It's still a cool gun, it's still fun to have and it's still great, but there's a lot more controlled environment I could put myself in with a stabilizing brace. So I think this is a strategic move just to bring down gun sales and they, they nailed it. You know, that's why it's important to fight this. Yeah. Well,
1: you, well, you brought up the points of contact and the AP five was, is probably one of the coolest, what we would call now backpack guns. Yeah. It's a, it's a care. Cause a lot of States there, the, it's a concealed pistol permit. Mm-hmm. You can only carry a pistol. And having the ability to have essentially a full-size platform. rifle platform, yeah, yeah, platform. In, in, a, in a small configuration where you could keep in a bag. In a pistol caliber. Yeah, in a pistol caliber was great. And now, you know, not having that extra point of contact, that kind of pulls that away from that kind of idea of having that as a as a quote-unquote backpack or truck gun. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's
2: just, it's silly. It's silly. What you're doing is people were able to be safer, more controlled and accurate with this. And and now you're saying it's but it didn't increase the velocity. It didn't make it shoot faster. Yeah. It didn't do any of these things that are the narrative of what is dangerous about guns.
0: Yeah, it's it's ATFs war on plastic. I mean, we saw it first <laughs> wow, with, yeah. with the with the bump stocks, and now we're seeing it with the pistol braces. These are un-serialized accessories. And um it's a it's a dangerous precedent that they set. And it's something that they they were planning for. I mean, making on estimates forty million Americans uh, felons, felons overnight, overnight is <laughs> is an incredible uh, tactic that they had, um, and just ca- kind of goes countercultural to what gun owners are. I mean, we are the outstanding citizens. We are the law-abiding citizens. Yeah, yeah. and so um, by vilifying us, you you make us public enemy number one, mm-hmm. and and that's an important aspect when we when we dissect issues like this to to really understand is it was a it was a rogue agency that wants to destroy your natural right and uh and they've been very very effective at this and and thankfully we're we're fighting these in the courts and and uh we've been able to get a preliminary injunction but yeah so where are we
2: with that because actually you know you hear so many different kind of things can you give us a little insight in terms of as of now, I don't know what you can and can't say, but as of now, kind of what does it look like? You know, you hear about, you know, companies like the FPC having some wins on things like uh, Maxim Defense. You know, <laughs> the, is that what is the, what is the actual reality of where we kind of stand as a country and where the, this kind of this actual whole process stands?
0: Yeah. So uh, I'm not a lawyer. Right. And uh, so I want to preference that. Solid disclaimer. <laughs> like, um, so, um, you know, our, our legal team is, is phenomenal. Right. And uh, we have um, a preliminary injunction in our case. Um, we also have submitted um, amicus briefs on some of the other cases as well. Just trying to bolster this, right? Like this is a, an important issue. And so um, we are fortifying the attacks as much as possible. Right. Um, courts. Take a long time. Yeah. this is why being involved in the legislative processes, when and submitting comments to the ATF and and all of those things that sound trivial, um, become so important. And so, um, you know, GOA members are are covered under the preliminary injunction. And um, what exactly does
2: that mean, if you don't mind me asking? I know without you're yeah. not a lawyer. Again, so, disclaimer. So, again, but yeah. So
0: on our website there is a statement, and I highly recommend that everyone <laughs> read that statement. Where on the website is um, it? You should be able to just search it. I think it's one of the pinned okay, pinned one in perfect. our in our news. Um, and so um, I'm going to try not to to butcher it, but essentially, um, if you were a GMA member at the time of the ruling, you are are covered, and you can. You can own own this until it kind of figures out in the wow. court. Wow, that's um, such a
2: huge
0: yes. So we
2: statement asked, of what you guys have done. Wow.
0: Yes. Yeah, so we we asked for a nationwide injunction. We didn't just go in and say, hey, like we we're fighting for just our members. Like we're fighting for the Second Amendment mm-hmm. as a whole. Um, but the judge was able to to issue um, for our membership, and so we we take that and and the process continues. The question is, how long does it take? Yeah. And then is this something which I believe everyone kind of assumes that the Supreme Court is going to be the ultimate decider on this yeah. issue? They're not going to let um, it go
2: until it gets to that level. But, yeah, um, it.
0: but it, it's a long process. I mean, um, there are still bump stock cases working their yeah. way through the courts. I mean, this is, this is not a, you know, it's over in five minutes sort of fight.
2: And the reality of the bump stock one, like you said, is even if it comes back, they killed that brand they mm-hmm. killed that wave like okay so in a year from now they say all right everything's fine sorry about the bump stock thing like you're all good to go again that wave has passed yeah. that ship has sailed yeah so well, some people have but they put a lot of companies out of business they put a lot of people out of jobs and they like you said made a lot of people felons mm-hmm. that weren't overnight and there's no coming back from that and yeah. that's that's the intention well you know?
1: do you remember i think it was 2021 when there was a call there was a call between the industry and ATF about pistol braces Mm -hmm. and they go how much business is this really going to how much business is going to impact if we do the ruling and they figured it was like a billion dollar part of the industry I think
2: it's I think it's more than that but I remember I was on that call
1: yeah Yeah. you remember and Mm -hmm. there's so many I mean I don't know about you guys but I know of manufacturers who have boxes and boxes of braces sitting in their facility that they can't do anything with until this gets figured out. And that's, you know, for, for a larger manufacturer, it, it, it's a, it's a write off. It's destroyable, you know, but it's the, not, but it's, it's not. not,
2: it's not even, even for, like you said, a larger, even if you're talking a six hour or something like this, the reality is it's not a write off because not only do you have these boxes and boxes of them, but then you have pistol configuration platforms that now are not nearly as desirable without that, which means they're shutting down lines or they're transitioning and as people without a job. I mean, and you're talking right now with with inflation being the way it is and, and, and the market and people worried and, and the brace rules Then you're seeing people lose their jobs in our industry every single day by like 10 percent 15 percent of entire companies being kind of downsized and it's not because we're you know greedy trying to protect the bottom line it's like simply the business isn't there and it's and it's an intentional strike like you said and it's they're like all right we can't go after the serialized item so -hmm. what can we do and they found something you know and that's why they attack mag capacity that's why they attack things like that i mean it's it's asinine, but it's it's an effective approach they're doing. It's the same thing, like you said, with a 1,000% tax and then saying, all right, well, we're, well, we'll get a 20% tax eventually then. Mm-hmm. And it won't seem that big of a deal. But they're finding ways around to ultimately, it, you know, it'd be like, oh, we don't want people driving cars anymore, so we're going to make it hard to get tires. You know, without the tire, you can have the car, but it's not going to run.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's what they're doing. Well, you, you talked about it. It took, so the... the Micro compact to two years of development. You've had it for two years. It Mm -hmm. takes development. You're developing probably at the time before this. You were probably developing or looking at a couple different options to import that money into the development. And now you have to pivot the entire design of that. I mean, what what is the impact on on a manufacturer on that side when you have to pivot an entire line from going okay, we're going to bring this cool thing to market, and now I have to pivot to make it not as cool
2: just to fit in the box yes yeah i mean exactly i mean anytime there's money spent that you're not going to see return on ultimately there's going to be a ripple effect on the business and that and unfortunately a lot of times where that comes into play because you know uh, i was talking i was talking to the guy from forge relations you know obviously we're here and they're doing a great job of hosting us um but i was talking to will and he said you know when we get more business is when we can hire more people and when we can hire more people we can do more of a scope of work but the reality is a lot of these companies even you know some of the really big ones they still work hand to mouth so when when there's more business there's more employees when there's less business there has to be less employees and some of the really cool companies that that you know we're all big fans of are much more direct than that they are literally we got a contract for 100 guns all right we need three guys to help us build these you know like they're very very intricate and if the business changes and the business model changes and suddenly their niche isn't desired anymore they're out of business literally out of business and it ruins not only the owner's life but then all the people that they help support
0: yeah talking about impact of the industry and jobs loss but also points in which people can even purchase firearms is the atf's new zero tolerance policy yeah um you know what is the effect on that for for someone like Canic and, and Century, when you're seeing drop-offs substantially in in the amount of people who are even opening up uh, gun stores and ranges, and then those that are are going out of business.
2: Yeah, so you know, obviously, there's a huge online presence now, but even with that, you still have to have you still have to you know have the checks and balances. But in my opinion, I think in the firearm space, more than most spaces in the in this world today, brick and mortar. You know, having a building, having that place to go into, pick it up, have the fit and feel of of the firearm, talk to somebody. Like you said, now that the dynamic of who is on the other side of that counter has changed. And these people are not only educated and passionate. But they understand the power of what they do, and it, they are. That's why I like to call the guys behind the counter are ambassadors now, and really, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion, they really are. I stopped by the Palmetto State Armory, the the store here in town in Myrtle Beach that they just opened uh, a couple days ago or a couple months ago, and I was talking to guys. They didn't know who I was. I was walking around, just <laughs> kind of listening to what they were saying, and and these guys, like the passion that they were talking to people now, was so powerful and it wasn't you know it used to be the you know if you went in and said hey so what kind of clip does this take <laughs> oh you were <laughs> you were ruined you know what i mean but now it's well actually you know sir so this takes a nine millimeter and we we, we refer to it as a magazine and if you want i can explain the difference between a clip and a mag blah, blah 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 this is the proper way to hold it would you like i can actually we have one on the range right now like we can go over there and we can put five rounds through it the attention to detail the attention to nurturing the consumer because there are so many new gun owners and i think it's gone as the good old days or the good old boy system of you're an idiot if you don't know as much as i do to now people realizing how important it is to build and grow our community with these 9 million new members and continuing to grow that if they're going to continuously make it harder and harder listen i am a staunch believer again this is just adam talking that there should be A level of compliance not compliance in terms of yes yes master i'll do what you say Mm -hmm. but in terms of these are the guidelines and regulations you need to follow to be a safe and proper ffl Mm -hmm. this is that's just the way it is because because sloppy gun ownership sloppy ffl ownership is a danger to our country is a danger to our community and we all need to hold each other accountable for doing things the right way but to say all right it goes from how it has worked for so long and common sense all right have a have have a, a, a proper ledger of what you have in the store make sure you are selling to the right people you know these kind of basic things to so staunchly ridiculous that it literally makes it either impossible for a new company to come into existence or nearly impossible to stay in business mm. is like you said it's another strategic play to slowly downsize what we do as a community and For us, understanding as Canic and Century the importance of brick and mortar, it's a very scary thing because you're losing that community. You're losing that point of contact. Not everybody wants to go into Reddit and find out what their best gun for them is. And even if they read 50 different things on it, it's not going to actually be accurate. They need to go in, be able to feel it, be able to understand, and have somebody like you, John, talk across the counter about why this is important. And why these are the four things you you know, your pinky's shorter than most people's, and this is why it's going to be important to have, you know, a pinky rest on your gun. Or, hey, listen, you're you're left-handed, so yeah, this gun is ambidextrous, and it's going to be really important for that. But in a situation where you can't use your left hand, this is what you should do with your right hand to be able to understand it. Those things are important, in the, and if you don't have somebody sitting in front of you, a lot of people can't learn like that, and I think that's intentional to kind of shrink the size of the community. Yeah,
0: that's one of our current lawsuits that we're working on is the zero tolerance policy, because... Um, it's very important that we not only have more gun stores and and ranges, but even more importantly are the ranges and where people can go and and have that diversity of training. Um, and I think that there's this like idea that the anti-gun left has that says, you know, Oh, well these, these people are, are armed and dangerous. <laughs> just because you purchase a firearm and it's like no, I think everyone who understands that like you're responsible for every action of your firearm. Um and so you you get training and then you go back and you get more training and and generally like it's it becomes a passion and then you want to learn under this person and that person and and yeah. you're watching and you're taking in content, you know, on on YouTube or on Rumble or whatever platform is your your preference. Um but generally, you start consuming it more, and you you find you know new techniques and things that you you really push for.
1: Yeah. Well, we really went from the and again, I applaud the guys behind the counter. But we went from the hey, it shoots nine mil, you should buy this. To hey, here's the features, here's the advantage, here's the benefit of those features, and that's where we've shifted because it wasn't like that. It was no. it, if, if you and you and I are about. You're a little older than I am, but it was relax. You, hey, relax. I'm just <laughs> I, I'll relax. But it used to be like you'd go to the gun store, and there'd be like four guys hanging out in the corner around the coffee pot, and they live there, mm-hmm. and like and we're changing a little bit of that feel from yeah. There's still that that group of people who live there by the coffee pot and are always there talking and stuff like that. But now it's they're more approachable, they're more easier to talk to, and we're seeing a shift where. If you want the good old boy society, it's in the forums on Facebook and stuff. And if you want the, you know, the experience, the gun store, the brick and mortar experience has really leaps and bounds over than what it used to be. Yeah.
0: The happiest day of my Life. No, I'm not kidding. Uh just (laughs) kidding there. Um no, but one of the the happiest or the proudest moments for me as like a a gun owner is when I walked into the store and wasn't immediately shown a pink, purple, or blue gun. I was like, Oh wow, this is nice. Because when when I started out as a gun owner bought it. (laughs) (laughs) When I started out as a gun owner, if you were a female, like you were you were shown. Here's
2: your muddy girl gun. Yeah, you remember those? And that was like the thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you that was your option. That was like you could be like, oh, can I see that? And then they, they would show it to you. I mean, they, they wanted ultimately the sell, but like women were very pigeonholed and too. Mm-hmm. like you you must want a glittery. What do you
1: like, mean? You don't really want, like, bright like a, a leopard print frame. Well, friend? first
2: off, first <laughs> off, I don't know if you guys remember, but we did the Miami Days and the Miami oh Nights Canics, mm-hmm. and that was the fastest selling gun we've ever had in the history of canning. We really? sold there was sixty one hundred of those guns made. Three thousand fifty of the white and three thousand fifty of the black in the Miami days and Miami nights. We sold all sixty one hundred of them in like two hours.
0: Wow.
1: God.
2: And looked amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember when we were making that, I was like, oh God, here we go. This is gonna go one of two ways. You know, <laughs> and luckily it went away that we wanted it to. But yeah, but but you're right. And I think that's important because like you said, females were so oh okay, we'll get you a gun, little lady, Mm -hmm. but this is what it's going to be, to now it's, all right, you're a part of the community. Yeah. But I also think it's now, the reason, in my opinion, that, like, the Miami Days and Miami Nights were so successful is no longer is the community just, like, and, and don't get me wrong, I love them, but no longer is the community just the 1911 FUD with you know that's you know this is one two world wars and this is how it is and it's yeah. got to have wood grips and it's got to be this and it's got to be a gi and that's it it's about having personality mm-hmm. and it's okay if you want you know i think one of the coolest things is when somebody pulls out a flashy gun on the range it's not like flashy all comped out but like something like a miami days and then they're hitting steel at 100 yards with a hand with a nine millimeter and you're like that's pretty badass. You know, like, you're like, that's really cool. It's okay. The community's big enough. Now it's strong enough. Now we're informed enough now that we're allowed to have personality. It's okay to put rims on your car. You know, Mm -hmm. it's okay to have a system in your car, even if you're a 40 year old man, you know, (laughs) but because it's about enjoying your passions and the firearms community and shooting is a passion. It's an inalienable right. But it's also fun, man. It's mm-hmm. so much fun and it's such a community. And I think we are finally getting to that point where people can actually embrace it as a proud hobby, as a proud lifestyle. There's a reason that podcasts like this are are trending and becoming popular because people actually, outside of just that 65-year-old 1911, 45 guy, win two World Wars, it could be the guy that has... His first gun was, you know, he's from Miami, but now he lives in Virginia, and he saw it, and he, wow, that's cool, and he bought it. Now he's on the range shooting it, and he's actually talking to the 65 year old next to him mm-hmm. that has a, and he's shooting a 1911 for the first time, and yeah. you know, that's what it's about. It's about all the diversity. I mean, we know the two biggest categories that are growing in our industry right now in terms of buyer. You know what they are? Females mm-hmm. and minorities. And for so long, everybody in a gun store was what? 55 year old white man, Mm -hmm. call a spade a spade. And it's so beautiful to see the community, the 2A community actually being more reflective of what the American society is, which is a melting pot. Mm -hmm. And as the more we can grow that, grow the 2A community to be a true reflection of American society and the American community, the harder it's gonna be for the politicians to divide us. Because we know what they use to divide us in this country. They use fear tactics with things like disease, they use religion, and they use racism and sexism and and bundle it all into this ball called politics. And that's what they'll do to divide the 2A community from the rest of the US community. But if the 2A community is the melting pot that is our country as a whole, good luck. Yeah. Good freaking luck.
0: No, I think that's absolutely right.
1: What is, now that we kind of covered all that, what new is coming from you guys? Like, you guys have been innovative, cool stuff, the rival, the rival S. I mean, I want everything that you have. <laughs> <And I'm, laughs> I just need to find the funds. So <laughs>
2: the whole desire of the product is the easy part. It the, it's the <laughs> whole, <laughs> whole paying for it that's the difficult part. Yeah. Uh, there's been times where I've literally had negative paychecks. So, again, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, You know, so there's some really, really cool stuff in the works. Um, A lot of it's going to be debuting end of this year, or there's always this big event, first month of the year uh, in Vegas, where we all end up around some circle uh, little structure and have too many libations, and, and then talk about guns during the day, SHOT Show. So we'll definitely debut with more detail there. But I don't know, I'll give you a couple tidbits. So for instance, on the Century side, um, we're working very diligently right now to um, bring back some um, highly demanded products of the past um, to include maybe some um, different versions of roller delay blowback firearms in different calibers, um, you know, specifically 308 and 556. There are some opportunities to do that. Um, there we're working on some projects in that same scope. Uh, as we were talking, the AP5 is something that um, was received in huge fanfare over the last couple of years, and we worked very, very hard with our MKE facility in Turkey to um, bring in as many of those as we could at a, at a price that the average American could afford. And that kind of changed in terms of the demand for that, but also the feasibility of it with this brace band. So we said, well, what's the issue? They said, 16-inch barrel. <laughs> Okay, so 16-inch barrel, a rifle, Hmm, a little more difficult as we talked about what it means for 922R compliance and that, but let's just say working on solving that solution, and hopefully that stays as a very powerful skew for us in the future once GOA helps knock down that brace band, but that's something right now that we want to be able to still provide the American citizen with an option that they don't have to jump through 20 hoops to own and shoot it in a way that they're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So we're working on a, perhaps a rifle configuration of some sort there. Um, On the Canic side, uh, we have some really, really cool partnerships coming out and some iterations of some existing. So the MC9, obviously our micro-compact carry gun, has just come out gangbusters. I mean, we can't make enough. And that's a good problem to have. But we know, you know, for so long, it was a race to make the smallest gun possible. And that's kind of where we all got with that MC9, with the Hellcat, with the Springfield. Um, but then, now we found that thin gun with the capacity. And now people are like, all right, but I want it to be not only my everyday carry, but something that's very, very comfortable. And I know kind of that, that middle ground where that could be. So we're going to be coming out with some iterations of the MC9 that are a little more... Um, friendly for different sizes and preferences of people. So there will be uh, three iterations of that that'll be coming out that'll add um, a little more customization in terms of what you're looking for. Maybe a higher capacity, maybe a little longer slide, maybe in barrel, maybe, but still with that thin, you know, profile that allows for the concealability and the the lack of printing when you're carrying. So we're going to have some really cool options of that. And then, and I have to be very careful how I word this one. But judging him, he's already told the world. So um, we have officially inked and are working on a very big, big project. You know, we uh, it's been a war to get it done. It's been a, but we've been in combat for quite some time for this. Um, we are going to be releasing a very special project with Taryn Butler and the TTI crew. So that would you say you've mastered it? You know, it's a <laughs> son of a gun. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we are very excited about that. It's in its final stages. I'm actually going to meet with those guys in a couple of weeks and yeah, it's just going to be a, a very exciting project and it's going to be the first of its kind that this company industry has ever seen in terms of offerings versus cost. So, yeah, so we're really excited about that. You're actually, this podcast is the very first time I've ever actually spoken publicly on it. So, um, yeah, it's very exciting. We kind of did a, Taryn said hello at the booth at NRA and was, you know, waving around, but we didn't really explain why. But, yeah, so here we go.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, I'm really excited for you guys about that. Um, We've talked about it in depth between the two of us, and I I think you guys are going to kill that. It's going to be knocked out of the park. Now, what I need you guys to do is come up with a name for that longer grip micro compact. Because there's not a name for it because it's not a micro compact. I, and I've been arguing with this. No. With people. Yeah. It's not a micro compact. It, there needs to be a name because it's not a compact. Mm. It's not a micro compact. What is it? There's no like. Well,
2: we, we have a name. You have we a do. name. We okay. do. Because, but, you know, it's interesting because when we went and actually went out to get the trademark, the term MC9. There is actually, we were surprised, there is a couple other MC things and stuff. But remember when, and, and the reason I speak so candidly, a lot of rule marketing 101 is you don't mention other brands' names. Right. Mm-hmm. But I don't mind. For like, things like SIG and Springfield, what they did for the industry with those EDCs in terms of the micro compact category was revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Especially SIG with that, you know, the P365. It was a very big deal. And it was a very good gun that they created. Um, but they didn't even know what they were starting. They didn't even know what they didn't know, you know, and that's why Kanic has had the opportunity to grow because that we built off of a really good, we said, wow, they're doing something really good, but what does it need? It needs to be able to be optics ready out the gate with the base model. It needs to be able to co-witness. It needs to have a higher capacity. It needs of this. It needs of that. We were able to build off of that because they kind of started that game when they started that game. And then the Hellcat came out. There was no such thing as a micro compact category. Mm-hmm. So, that became a name, it became a category after. You know what I mean? Correct. And then that's why we were able to get MC9 because they didn't even think to trademark that. What is an MC? And that was, I would love to know who kind of really pinned that term. But that's what we're looking to do with Kanic is now be the forefront that then were behind the eight ball in terms of our marketing later because we created something we didn't even know how special it was going to be. And then others follow us. And that's that's in my opinion, while we all want to be the biggest and the baddest and the best, without each other, we're in trouble. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean that's where we are. As an industry, we need Six Hour, we need Springfield, we need Glock, we need Kanik, we need Ruger, we need Walter, we need them all because the more power we have in numbers. Just as you said, we need the members of GOA to speak up. We need the people that aren't members yet to speak up because power is in numbers and innovation comes with challenge. You know, the, the old term, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. So when uh, one of us as an industry leader, a company comes out with something new and the community embraces it, what that does is it makes all the others say, all right, we got to get on board. And then what it does is it ultimately creates better product, which keeps our gun community as a whole safer and more responsible. And ultimately, and, and I say this term very, very strategically. There's nothing wrong with the term deadly. You know, when when I need to be, I will be. But also with that comes responsibility. So I want to create a product that gives somebody the most the most accurate chance of accomplishing the task that they need to do, whether it's teach their son how to hit a target at 10 yards, whether it's hit a target at a hundred yards or ultimately defend themselves and the people they care about with lethal force. If they absolutely have to, and ultimately neutralize the threat and only the threat, you Mm -hmm. know, and that's, and and we can, we can beat around the bush as much as we want, but the reality is that a, a firearm is a great equalizer and we know a lot of times the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And you know what? You want them to have the best damn product they can possibly have that fits them to the best of their needs that allows them to have, you know, the element of surprise by concealed carry if they want allows them to have the most accurate shot possible with a stabilizing brace in an AP five that allows them to train You know, and be able to afford to train and that allows them not to be vilified if they have something like a piece of plastic Mm -hmm. that suddenly is now making them a felon. We want them to have all of the tools necessary to be the best they can be when they need to be it in whatever situation that may be. And that's kind of where we are as a company. And that's why we support people like the GOA, because you guys are fighting on the other side for us so that we can continue our rights. Yes. Do we want to make money? Yes. Do we want to grow our business? Yes. Do we want to employ more people? Yes. But ultimately, what we want to do is protect our Second Amendment rights. And that's why we're here today. And that's why we're going to continue to support you guys.
1: No, I I really appreciate that. Now, real quick follow up question. What trends no, because we asked we asked a, a few other people this. What trends do you see coming out of the industry? I know that we talked about how you guys are listening to the consumer and that. What what's the next big trend that we're gonna see?
2: Oh, I, ha- man, I have what is things. what is your crystal ball, right? Okay. Um, so, I really do believe that our industry is cyclical in terms of like kind of the things you know. I, I think there's gonna be you know, right now there's the conversations of caliber, you know, what is the best caliber? And for a long time, you remember it was 45, then it was nine, then it was 40 cow. Then 40 cow was the thing. And then it went back to nine. And then there's now right. now it was, we need a 10 millimeter. Everybody wants a 10 millimeter. Um, the five, seven, you know, in my opinion, I think the biggest thing right now with ammo being, you know, we're seeing the ups and downs of what ammo is, over the last couple of years, I think it's going to be the ability to consistently train. I think as more people get into the industry or into the community, I think you're going to see scarcities of ammo and things like that. So it's going to be products that are um, readily accessible to do training because ultimately sometimes you're going to price yourself out in, in terms of, you know, what's available. So I think, You know, I think the 22 wave is coming back strong. I mean, you're seeing it with certain guns out there right now. Canics working on some stuff like that. I don't mind saying Um, I think that'll be big. I think, uh, you know, on the rifle side, I, I wish I knew. You know, I really don't because, I mean, for so long it was the, you know, pistol brace configurations. Where do we go now? I, you know, I, I, we're working on some things and we're going to try a bunch of different things and kind of bring them out and see what the community uh, embraces, because ultimately it's going to be on the feedback of them. And sometimes people don't, we don't even know what we want. Kind of like when I was talking about the MC nine, uh, you know, micro compact, we didn't know what the micro compact was until we said, Hey, this, Oh, this is a micro compact. So I think it's going to be uh, really interesting to see where that comes. All
1: right. I'm going to throw three out to you oh, that okay. I've seen, that I've seen. Okay. One bolt guns. Yeah. Two lever guns and three polymer switching over to steel.
2: Okay. So I can, I can, I can answer on all three of those. So bolt guns, I think bolt guns have been out there for a little while. And I think, yes, I think you're seeing a resurgence of passion for them and more specifically, um, the intricacies of like customizing one. I, I, for instance, am working on that. And, um, century maybe working on something really cool for that um that's a little farther and I would absolutely get mortified if I brought <laughs> up that anymore but yeah there's some really cool stuff there but I think with that it's going to be a hybrid of you know hunting bolt guns have been around forever you know my right. my 700 that I've had since I was you know in my 20s and then you know put a Timney trigger in it you know smoothed out the bolt did all the kind of things that you know as I had a little money made it more of a customizable as opposed to just it was a stock remington 700 that i put on but then i put you know the magpul chassis on it now i made it kind of cool well now there's opportunities out there with some of the like lightweight you know aluminum chassis and things like that and the spring fed you know the spring assisted bolts and the triggers and all that come out that are very cool with that so it's a tactical slash precision slash hunting rifle all in one i think those are very cool The lever action guns are just, they've been badass for a while. But the reality is the market's still very unique for that. Like, I want one. I've been trying to get a hold of somebody at Henry for a while to get a discount because two things. One, discount because those things are expensive. And two, you just can't find them, you know? And then, like, the what is it, the, the Marlin, you know, the 4570, that thing is just a monster. I want one. But they came out with it and they, you know, they sold them out.
1: Because well, everyone's hunting T Rex with
2: them. Yeah, I mean yeah. those T Rexes are getting out of control. Oh, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but so I think they're very cool. I think the lever action, though. I mean, you've got some great companies out there, like you know, I mean, everything from the high end, like you said, like the Henrys, and and then the Marlin and all, to like the the more price point, like the Rosies and stuff like that, like that are very cool brands. But I think I think it's kind of like how far do you want to go from... From what it is. It's a cowboy lever action gun. Some people are turning them kind of tactical, you know, with like the you know, the skeletonized chassis and like the side saddle bullets, and they're cool, but what else do you do to that innovate it? There's there's a reason they went away from that, it innovated. But from a homage to like where we came from where we've been, I think it's very cool. The interesting one is what you said with the transition from polymer to steel. That's a really interesting one. So for instance, when we first decided we were gonna do the rival S the steel frame pistol, you know, the, the rival was our polymer striker fired pistol in 2022 at shot show. We released it and we won handgun of the year with it. And then we said, all right, we're going to do a steel frame gun. We're going to do the same gun pretty much, but in steel. My first question was, okay, but why, you know? Okay, but why? Then I shot it. Then I knew why, you know? I mean, it's really, it's, it is, it's like I said, cyclical. We went from Steel is steel and you know, cold hard steel yeah. to oh it's gotta be the lightest possible gun ever. To then, wow, we've made it so light, it's so snappy in your hand. To all right, well we'll add a little weight, we'll put a, you know, a weighted a weighted you know, back strap on it, to uh oh, we'll put a little weight on the front pick rail, to we'll add weight to the base pad, to well, why don't we just make the gun weigh? again and so now you've kind of come back to it and and the the lack of muzzle rise on our rival s when you shoot that and it's a little it's 0.9 pounds heavier than the than the the polymer version of the rival and then we distributed the weight from the back of the trigger guard all the way forward uh through through the front of the barrel and uh the noticeable difference is astronomical so I think if I was gonna pick one of those three that I think you're gonna continue to see more evolutions in, I think it'd be having steel framed options. Do I? Would I want to everyday carry a rival S? Absolutely not. You know, I feel like it'd not it'd pull my pants down. You know, but um, as a whole, I think there's gonna. I think that's an avenue that we could go back to exploring, taking today's innovation and modernization and combining it with you know, what is the core of our foundation, which is steel, buildings, you know, planes, cars, everything goes back to steel. I think that that'd be the coolest way to see kind of what we can the days of old combine with the days of new and make something really cool.
1: Well, and that's what just looking at the rest of the industry, we're seeing that kind of trend happen where they're going to steel. The there's two more, but you're probably gonna go, we're not gonna do that. The the other two is the twenty elevens are getting real hot. And then the hammer fired stuff is starting to creep.
2: Hammer fired? Eh, to okay me, man. to
1: me, okay, like I love a
2: good revolver. Yeah. Okay. But to me, that's it. Like and I'm not knocking it in in uh, Uku in in Turkey might be about to about to send a <laughs> send a scud missile over here to for me to, but <laughs> to me, yeah. Okay. It is what it is. You know, I don't think they're bad. I have some, you know. Not me. I mean, on the other side though, I mean the twenty eleven, yeah. I, they're getting big, but what they're getting big for is these super bougie, like, I mean, Staccato and guys like that. They're awesome guns. But who can, like, can everybody afford a $4,000 gun? And and honestly, to be the, don't get me wrong, if, if I could afford one, I would have one. If they, So I'm not knocking them by any means. I think they're awesome. But if it's just a very raw platform, if somebody could come out with one that was kind of entry level in cost, but had say 50 percent of the features and, and viability that like a staccato does i think you could have some really cool success with it but to have it at thirty three thousand dollars and it's worth that because of what the work that's put into it but it just becomes a lot less approachable for people
1: so you hear heard it here first we're trying to get adam to do no just, <laughs> adam will never come and talk to us i don't know
2: <laughs> here's this i don't mind saying these are all conversations that we have internally every day and we're constantly working with partners. One of the things that century does the strongest is work with industry leaders outside of just our company to help import uh, different products.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I think from the consumer side of things, we're, we're thankful for that, right? Um, we want to see the innovation, but we also want to see, um, you know, how we can, can grow our, our collection. Cause ultimately um, I jokingly tell people all the time, you know, gun owners are, just hoarders that haven't been diagnosed, because um, <laughs> I mean we just have. I feel personally attacked. <laughs> I mean I'm, I'm right there yeah. in the middle of it, but I mean because we do we we want we want to train with different things. We want to be able to introduce people into shooting, and and so you have to have different options that are going to fit the the difference. My husband is uh, six three. I'm five foot. Um, we don't shoot the same gun comfortably, um, and so you gotta. Have a little have a little wiggle room. Diversity, diversity. Diversity in your
2: in your portfolio. Yeah. Yes.
1: No, I, I agree. Um you know, I have one idea I'm gonna toss to you. You have the MC. Can you please come out with an MC Hammer style MC? <laughs> Talk, talk to him. Talk to his people. And on that note, on yeah. that note. <laughs> thanks for coming to Gun Over America's <laughs> podcast. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, You know, one of the things we're not afraid to do is push the envelope. So who knows what will be out there in the future. Like we said, obviously with the Miami Days and Miami Nights and some of the other fun stuff we've done, there's allowed to be humor in this industry. So it makes, mm-hmm. it's what it makes life beautiful is you're allowed to laugh. You're allowed to have fun. And as long as you still remember the core fundamentals of keeping yourself safe and keeping others around you safe with a gun, it's okay to laugh. And so, yeah, you know what? Maybe we'll maybe we'll do one with like Arcanic Creations, which is the custom Cerakote line with the imaging. Maybe we'll do you an MC hammer gun. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Adam, uh while we wrap this up, where can people find Canic Sentry and yourself?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Myself? <laughs> yeah, we don't know. Um I mean my 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 personal is Adam is tiny. Um <laughs> yeah. So uh, the irony of that is um I'm slightly larger than the average bear. Um and probably an actual bear. <laughs> um, but from on a professional side, uh, we are obviously prevalent on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Um, we have, you know, Century Arms, it's, uh, not all the other little bells and whistles and all the weird spinoffs So, but actually just at Century Arms. Um, on the Canic side, we have at Canik USA and at Canik. Um, both of those are actual official pages. Um, and then we have a Century Arms and a Canic YouTube as well as uh, centuryarms.com and canicusa.com are going to be uh, the proper starting points for any information you're looking on our products or kind of what we're doing or partnerships with companies like GOA, um, organizations like GOA, Um, but yeah, so we're we're very much there, we're very interactive and uh, any input you have that how we could do better, what we could do next, um we are very active on those we have people monitoring daily um and i just wanted to say to you guys it's it's such a pleasure to sit here with you it's such a pleasure to sit with people that are forethinkers thinkers in our industry um you know some of the people that you guys surround yourself with are genuinely um revolutionary in this in this this community and i just want to thank you guys i want to let you know that we are here to support you any way we possibly can um you know, just know uh, what we're going to go ahead and say is I'm going to go ahead and give you guys a rival S, um, which is a very, very tough one to find right now. And what I would like you guys to do with it in in your time, at your speed, figure out a way to get it to one of your members or somebody that's listening to this podcast so that uh, they can know how appreciative we are of them taking the time to listen and uh, kind of just spur them on to, as you said, be a voice in our community.
0: Wow. Thank you for that. We are uh, so blessed, and I, I know that's going to be such a blessing to uh, one of our members.
2: Absolutely.
1: On that note, we uh, want to thank Adam again for joining us. Appreciate it again, brother. Uh, you know, you this was a great conversation. We've been at it for a while. Uh, again, go ahead, go to
0: gunowners.org, sign up, become a member, and uh, we appreciate you listening. Have a great rest of your day.